because it's not for lack of you speaking, but it's for lack of our hearing. And I ask, God, that by your Spirit you would come and move in each one of our lives, that we would, as we listen, we would listen with hearts that are open, and Spirit of God, that you would come and have your way today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking over the last while at 1 Corinthians 12 and the manifestation of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and all of those things, and then Tim looked last week at um, distractions, which uh, I believe went really well, but I also believe there was a distraction of a telephone call halfway through, which, um, anyway. But uh, I'm going to carry on looking at some of the things of the Spirit, but the thing that I feel this morning is we can understand and know about the Holy Spirit, the manifestation gifts of the Spirit, uh, and all of those things, we can understand them, we can know about them, we can read about them, but it's really only when we step into them and start experiencing the lead of the Holy Spirit and experiencing the things of the Spirit that the understanding of those things come to greater fullness and take effect in our lives. And so I want to look a little bit at that this morning. But if we, if we look all the way back in Genesis at the creation of man, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, I'm not going to read it, but what we can see is that man is created in the image of God as a spiritual image bearer of God. And we created spiritual beings that actually we would understand and be comfortable with the things of the Spirit as much as we have or are with the things around us that are tangible and that we can see. I also understand that as we look at those things, the reality of that kind of relationship with God or understanding has been clouded, damaged, or distorted, or obscured, or unaffected by the fall of man. In other words, by sin coming to the world. And so we don't always have that understanding. And, and again, there are things that happen that are counterfeit, that are of demonic origin that happen in the Spirit. But it's, and it's not to get evacuated by that, but it's just to be aware that actually the things of the Spirit of God, we are created to live and understand and experience. That's how God's created us. And through Jesus, the restoration of our relationship with God is like that of Adam walking before God and communing with God before the fall. And so actually we've been created in a way that we can engage with God spiritually. And that's why, uh, 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 and we can talk to Him and we can commune with Him. And, and the things of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit, although we don't always see them as frequently as sometimes in the, in the Scriptures we read about, we created to live in that space, that those would become a normal part of what it means to be a believer. But equally, we can't force those things. You can't uh, make those things happen because it's the manifestation of the Spirit as He wills for the good of the church. When we believe in God and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we be, we born again. And the Word speaks of us as being uh, that our spirit is made alive in God. That's that restoration of a relationship with Him. And um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and again in Psalm 23, and uh, that, that speaks about a, re a spiritual rebirth. But in Psalm 23 and Romans 12, 2, it speaks about the fact that God would want to restore our soul and refresh 
us and commune with us and that our minds should be renewed by the, by, by the washing of the Word. You see that everything about us, as we get, are, are, are saved, as we become children of God and surrender our lives to Him, the life we now live is no longer ours, but it is His. And it is to be lived in communion with God and to be lived interacting with God, not just God's there and we hear and we understand these things, but actually He's intrinsically involved in our lives. Uh, this morning, because we have a prayer time before every Sunday morning, Tim was saying, I think he might have said last week, that they got locked out their house before the meeting because they, they accidentally closed the door. And the, but they, they, he was just saying that they don't normally leave windows open in their house, but for some reason last Sunday, Emma left the bedroom window open, which meant that they could climb in and get in and open up. And, and then Jen was explaining how she's clearing out a bag and there was a ring that, that was small that wasn't hers and, she'd, and so she called her daughter Hannah and said, when she spoke to her, said, is this yours? Or when she saw her and Hannah said, I've been, I lost that a year ago and I prayed and I asked God that I would find it and here, a year later God has found it. You see, God's interested in every aspect of your life. Not just the things that happen when you come together at church, or not just the things that are in, contained with, with, uh, in a home group, but every aspect of your life and my life, God is interested in and involved in if we let Him. If we say, well, God, you can be involved in these areas and not these areas, then we limit how God is in involvement in by our position. Not by his longing or his, what he would love to do, but by our response to him. And he's created us to live in that dynamic relationship with him in the spiritual things and, uh, and physical things. God's the creation of, a creator of everything. We're the ones who divide things between, well, this is church and this is family and this is work and this is physical and that's spiritual and that's this. God is is interested in your life in its entirety and in every aspect and in every way longs for that relationship with you and to work through you in that, if that makes sense. It's up to us that we need to recognize His voice. Jesus taught that He's the Good Shepherd and His sheep know His voice. And so for us, it's more a sense of recognizing what God is saying and when God is speaking and being able to respond to that. And that, at first, you might not recognize that. When we've been speaking and looking at the manifestation of the Spirit and the, and, and the manifestation gifts of the Spirit, some of those things might have been outside of your kind of frame of reference or anything else, but it's truth and it's in the Word. And some of those things require us to, most of them require us to recognize when God is speaking and how God is moving and sometimes that takes time. If you think of uh, in, in the Old Testament, there's the account of Samuel, and God speaks to Samuel at night, and Samuel has never encountered that before. His immediate response is that it's old Eli that's calling him. So he gets up and goes through and says to Eli, you called. And he said, no, I didn't. And, and it happens three times, and the third time he goes, and Eli says, maybe it's God speaking to you. The next time he does say, here am I, God speak. And, and then we know that he grew up, Samuel grew up 
listening to, hearing the voice of God and speaking to the nation on behalf of God. He became God's spokesperson. But you see, it starts with him saying, well, that's Eli. It's not God. And it's a training and an understanding that actually God does speak. And I'm not saying that he speaks every time in an audible voice, but sometimes in an inner voice. But it's recognizing when God speaks and how we respond to that. And we grow in that. And so this, the, that's a very practical thing of living in the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit. So moving on from the manifestation gifts of the Spirit, I want this morning I want to look at four things we should do and three things we shouldn't do. Because we have a responsibility in how we respond to God and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to look at those this morning. And the first is we're going to look at the four things that we should be doing. Because I think we should always focus on the things we should be doing rather than trying to think, well, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be. Actually, if you, so, if you, if you busy yourself doing the things that God has told you to do, you won't have time to do the things that he's told you not to do. But also equally, if we focus all the time on the things we shouldn't do, those things we probably land up doing. And it's like, don't think about this, and then all the thing you can think about is that. So let's focus on the things that God has called us to do. I do want to bring in the three things that we shouldn't, because we need to be aware of those things. But the first is this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. We will read this passage, the great extent of this passage later on, but in chapter 5 of Ephesians, um, verse 18 says this, and let me read from verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what, is the, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. We're called to be filled, and here the use of that word is a present continuous it's a be filled and be continually filled or continue being filled, keeping on going being filled, which is different from you know, like the, the, when we get saved, it says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is an infilling of the Holy Spirit and a continued filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's beneficial for us to live in that place and actually necessary for us to live in that place of being filled and refreshed by the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit in us who leads and empowers us to live and do what God's called and created us to live and do. He's the one who's made the way. He's the one who empowers. He doesn't just say, here we are, now you're saved, now you're my children, now get on with it. Good luck. He says, here we are, here I've given you my Spirit that has filled you, that you would be empowered to do what I've called you to do. And that needs to be a continuous renewal and a refreshing in him. I'm going to look at some examples of, uh, of, of how that happens because actually as we live, some things happen that mean we need to be refreshed. See, Jesus was the Son of God. He was filled with the Spirit and everything he did on earth while he was here on earth he did in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in his strength, 
but the power of the Holy Spirit in him. That's why he could say, these things and even greater you will do. In other words, we need to do what he did, and it is possible because it's the same Spirit that lived in him, that raised him from the dead, that lives in you and I. And Jesus, when he was ministering in Luke chapter 8, verse 40 to 48, the account of where he was on his way, and there were crowds all around him. And it says that a woman who had this issue of blood, she had, uh, had this condition, that, and, and she pressed through the crowds because she felt, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, and he t- she touched him, and she was instantly healed. And in that moment, in verse 46, Jesus says this, Someone touched me. I know that, your pa- that power has gone from me. In other words, what he's describing is he knew that someone had touched him and the Holy Spirit had worked through him in the power of God. He felt it as if it was leaving him. And his disciples said, well, everybody's touching you. There's so many people. He was among the crowds, and, there was, and, and this, today's preach isn't about that, but there was this woman who with intent and faith reached out and touched him because she knew that if she just touched him, there was something of the power of God would come and fill her and transform her. And that's what he felt. And so if it describes that as, I felt power leave me, then there's necessary for power to fill him. And I believe that that's what we see when Jesus spends his time in prayer, in the presence of the Father. It's a refreshing and a filling of the Spirit so that actually as we give out, we're not giving out, giving out, giving out, and then we start giving out of ourselves, not of God, because we haven't gone back to the source and said, refresh and fill, refill. And so when it says, be filled with the Spirit, meaning be filled and continue being filled with the Spirit, that's so that we remain full of the Spirit, and what we give out when we minister is not our strength or our wisdom, or, which is really foolishness compared to God's, but it's, it's from Him. Remember, as we've been looking through this, I've said that we are just like conduits. We're just like the delivery person who just delivers whatever God gives us. And, and if you think of it like a conduit or a hose pipe, and the power and the Spirit of God is like the water that goes through, we're just the vehicle through which that goes through. But if we don't remain in Him, then the flow of water dries up, and then what we're giving out is actually of us, not of Him. And that's why it says, be filled, continually being filled with the Spirit. That's why when you're involved in ministry where you're praying for people and, and, and reaching people like that, it can feel exhausting, but it's not just always a physical exhaustion, it's a spiritual, that's why we need to go back and spend time with Him. That's why Scripture says that we, to, uh, Psalm 23, about the Lord is my shepherd, and, and we go to Him and He restores and refreshes Psalm 1, that those who put their faith in God and their hope in Him, it's like a tree planted by a stream whose roots are right near the water, never runs dry, bears fruit in season and out of season. Why? Because in the Spirit of God, constantly refreshed, constantly filled. Does that make sense? But we need to learn and practice what it means, as in put it into practice, how to be filled. And that 
is being with God, spending time with God, resting in Him, filling yourself by reading the Word of God, worshiping Him, abiding, dwelling in His presence. That's where we are filled. And also saying and praying, God, fill me afresh. Holy Spirit, I feel dry. Fill me afresh. And trusting that He will. That's how we can continue to do what He's called us to do. And some, so like ministry in that way, like Jesus was, that causes the power of God to flow from us that we need refreshing. The other is sometimes life just happens and we get the knocks of life and, and, and busyness of life. And if I had to take, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to make marks on the floor, but if this was full and I, I was walking through a crowd of people and then someone bumped me, this would fall over. I mean, it would, they would spill. And sometimes if we filled with the Spirit, it's like us, the glass, filled with the Spirit, the water. And just the busyness of life and knocks of life, stuff happens and we feel drained. We feel, well, how can I have the capacity to do that? How can I? And God just says, let me fill you again so that we remain full, not depleted. And we can recognize the symptoms of, the, of, of that when we, we become I suppose a little bit more, we don't hear his voice that often, we don't get with clarity, we, we maybe get a little bit cranky and the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit isn't that evident in our lives anymore. It's because we haven't spent time being filled and refreshed by his Spirit. And then the third area that actually does affect the filling of the Holy Spirit is when we sin. If we sin and do something that is rebellion against God and sinful and choose to do that, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave, but we're moving away from Him. And our hearts become cold. And if we don't repent and confess and repent and move back, then actually what we find is we slowly move from Him, our hearts are cold, our ears are deafened, and it just gets more and more. And we drift from God. But that's not where we're to be. So if there's sin in our lives, we need to move back quickly. Otherwise, it breaks intimacy. It breaks the fullness of the flow of God in our lives. But we're called to feed ourselves on the Word, to be worshippers. So the first is that we're to be filled with the Spirit. The second is that we're to be controlled by the Spirit or live our lives living in submission to the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8 Verse 6 and 9 speak about that. When we live our lives focused on ourselves or self-indulgent, or, or, or that's different, wholly different from when we live our lives surrendered and submitted completely to Him. That means that when we face things, we just say, God, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, you lead me and show me how to respond, what next, where, how, what. That's saying, actually, this life I live is not mine, but it's His. So I need to keep in step with Him and be led by Him. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 and 14 speaks about a life led by the Spirit. It says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so what we can read from that is, as children of God, we should be led by the Spirit of God. That's how we created to live. And When we accept Jesus and are born again, our lives are not our own, but they're His. 
They're his. Your life is not yours. You might feel like it is, and we do have responsibility for our lives and our choices, but our lives belong to him. We've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. And so we need to be saying, Holy Spirit, you lead me. What do you want me to do? What's the next thing that you have? See, the Holy Spirit's not a, not a vapor or a mist or an ethereal something. He's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity with whom we can commune and talk. So the second is that we to be controlled or live submitted. So filled, submitted to the Spirit. And the third is like that, which is live in agreement with the Spirit or at peace with the Spirit. When Romans chapter 8, verse 4 and 5 speak about us living in accordance with the Spirit, it, that word accordance, other words can be used as in harmony or at peace with. And that's, when, when there's not that, then there's discord, there's friction, there's, you're not able to hear the voice of God. And that we call to be led by Him and to keep in harmony or at peace with Him and walk in step with Him. You can see the same thing if you look at a marriage where there's not harmony or peace in a marriage. There's discord. And there's, there's, they can do things together, but there's this unease or dis-ease because there's not unity. And we are called to live at peace and in communion or in agreement with the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 speaks about us walking in step with the Spirit. And a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, I used that analogy of a three-legged race. I think I used that, or maybe I just thought it, where your legs are tied and, 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 and you have to get into the same stride. We must remember this. He is the perfect one. He never has to make an adjustment. We the ones who make the adjustment. The Holy Spirit's never out of step, out of time, going too fast or too slow. We're the ones who do. So as we call to be filled with the Spirit, submitted to the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit, it's us that needs to make the adjustments, not the Holy Spirit. We are the ones who need to make the adjustment to keep in step with Him, to walk in harmony with Him. And when there is then there's peace, there's joy, there's faith, there's adventure, there's life of God that flows. And how do we keep in step? By constantly communing and asking, what next? How, what need to, do I need to change? How do I need to adjust? And then the fourth area, so the four things that we to do is be filled with the Spirit, be submitted to the Spirit, walk in agreement with the Spirit, and have fellowship with the Spirit. Build a relationship with Him. We read in Philippians chapter 2. That's not Philippians. I've got so many markers in my Bible, I just need to find out which one it is. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, So if there's encouragement in Christ and any comfort from from love any participation in the Spirit, that participation with, the communing with. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it ends with this. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. And then he ends the book of the, that letter with the, this statement. 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship, the communing with the Holy Spirit be with you all. The participation of the Holy, with the Holy Spirit, the walking together in relationship with, communing. So we are called to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, to be comfortable in His presence, to speak with Him, and to listen to His leading and guiding. There's that. If, if the, I, I don't believe that, because some people say, well, you can't, you shouldn't pray to the Holy Spirit. You, how can you fellowship? We can. God says we can. Because he's part of the Godhead. And if we couldn't, why does the Bible say, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. The communing of the Holy Spirit. The, the, that, that, you know, in Acts 42, too, they said they devoted themselves to the fellowship of the believers. The, the living together in relationship with. That's what he's talking about. We to live together in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so the, if we to live how God's called us to live, we need to be filled with the Spirit, submitted to the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and have fellowship with the Spirit of God. And each one of us, the, that comes from the place of prayer, of worship, of being found in His presence, and walking in step with Him and saying, you lead you show, and recognizing His voice. And we grow in that. We recognize His voice more and more. And all of that is possible because God's made it possible through Jesus, His Son. So those are the four things we're to do. And so the three things we're not to do, much quicker but much more obvious. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, From verse 30, he says, let me read a little bit before. I'm going to read from verse 25. It's a big chunk of scripture, but I feel I need to read it. Because the first thing we're not to do is grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit. You'll see the difference between. We grieve the Holy Spirit through our life and character when that goes off kilter away from God. And here as I read this, you will see what grieves the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 25. Which I started earlier. Now let me read. You can read the whole of 4 and 5 at home. Therefore, having put away falsehood, falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. If you are angry, do not sin, or in, in, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down when you are angry, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he will have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, 
to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For, for you may be sure that everyone who is immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God is coming in the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. And he goes on. Walk as children of light. So the things that grieve the Holy Spirit is sin, bitterness, anger, slander, greed, obscene joking, coarse speech, all those things. That grieves the Spirit of God. When we sin, it grieves the Spirit of God. And if you think about it, you think, well, I understand that it grieves, but why does it grieve him so much? Because actually, through what Jesus did on the cross... And his death and resurrection, he paid the price and disarmed the enemy and, and overcame sin. And with the power of the Holy Spirit who's in us, we are able to overcome sin. And so when we choose to sin, we're rejecting the power of the Holy Spirit in us that God has given for us to be able to say no to ungodliness. And so that grieves him because we're actually rebelling, but we're also rejecting the very purpose of him in us, which is to live a godly life. Can you imagine if you gave your child or some, a friend or someone close to you the ability to do something or to overcome, and they walked in that forbid and then decided, actually, I'm going to reject that I'm going to do whatever I like. Wouldn't it grieve you? How much more it grieves the Spirit of God when we choose to reject His help and His empowering and His leading and try and do it in our own or do what we want. That grieves the Spirit of God. And if we grieve Him, He is gracious and loving in this forgiveness, but we can't expect Him to flow through us and, sp- and hear His voice when we have grieved Him. Why? Because we become cold. We become hard-hearted, and we move away. And it doesn't always happen instantly. It can be over a period of time where we compromise on this, and at least a compromise on that, which leads, to com- which leads us to wandering away. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I know it's gruesome, but for me it's the, the easiest way to describe it. I don't know if you've ever heard of how, and I hope I don't offend anybody, how you, I've never done this, just so you know, how you boil a frog. If you're going to eat a frog, you boil it slowly. You boil it alive. I know it's gruesome. But what you do is you put it in a pot of cold water. And the frog swims around. And you slowly turn the heat up. And the frog doesn't realize it's slowly boiling. And then it dies. The same, I know it's gruesome. But hopefully it gets into your head. It's the same with sin. And compromise. Oh, it's not having an effect. 
No, it hasn't had any effect on me. No, I can carry on. And then you don't realize you're slowly boiling. And then there's death. Let's not grieve the Spirit of God with whom we sealed on the day of redemption, but rather walk in fellowship and submission with him. What should we do if we have scriptures clear? As soon as we become aware of it, confess, repent, and turn to him. He is gracious and loving. It says in 1 John 1 verse 9, when we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He turns the thing off and takes us out the pot the frog and gives us life again but as soon as we become aware why because it grieves the spirit of God and if we to be led and filled with the spirit let's not we can't do that while we are grieving him I need to speak a little bit faster two other things the second in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 19 speaks about us quenching or putting out the spirit's fire so we're not to grieve the spirit of God which is about our life and our attitude and our choices and he says don't quench the Spirit of God, which is to do with the ministry of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. It's when we speak against what God is doing, whether it be because of lack of understanding or opinion or, or laziness or wanting something, whatever, the, it's not really about the reason. It's that when we speak against what God is doing, we quench the move of the Spirit. We I can give an example that actually, especially when God is moving and there's a revival kind of thing happening or anything like that, when we speak against it, when we um, are impassive, when we prejudice against it, we quench him and stop the move of God. Lisa and I were ministering one sort of a church camp up north somewhere and we'd been asked to minister and we were, and we were doing a workshop and, 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 uh, and a ministering and, and there was the prophetic God was flowing the spirit of God was flowing through the prophetic and um, I can't remember exactly the, what the point was but one person in that meeting and you could sense there was a tangible sense of the spirit of God and then one person vocalized his opposition and disbelief and would not allow anybody to pray for him at all he was a believer and you could and standing preaching and then that was said it was like someone it felt like someone hit me in the stomach you could just feel the presence of God go the Holy Spirit was quenched and then it was very hard to minister and so when we call to it says don't quench the, the work of the Holy Spirit don't speak against it I think if stuff happens, see, he's given us the Spirit of God in us to, to recognize what is of God and what is not. But if stuff happens and there's, um, God works in ways that we don't understand, our response should be, God, show me. God, first show me if this is you or not. But then explain to me, teach me. Because I want to grow in you. Because if it's from you, I need to grow. But if we speak against or stop, we quench the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why, like, when we're preaching, it says, do not forbid people to speak in tongues. Even if you don't understand what it is, don't forbid others because it's quenching what the Holy Spirit does. So we call not to, re- not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We call not to quench the, the, the Holy Spirit or put out the Spirit's fire. And the third thing that we call not to do is not resist. 
Acts 7.51 says, do not resist the Holy Spirit. And you see, that comes down, and there's still other notes that I'm not going to preach today. That comes down to an issue of trust. Because if God moves, and we don't understand, and we say, not me, then he's not going to force himself. So we call not to resist the Holy Spirit. And if we don't understand, ask someone to help. Ask him first and foremost, show me what you're doing. Show me, help me to understand. But don't resist him. Normally people don't resist because they don't trust. Either they don't trust God or they don't trust the person through whom God is moving. Now I'm not saying that you must just let anybody do anything. I really don't. I think if there's a check in your spirit that this something here is not right, then you, no one should. You, if someone, how can I describe this? I've done this in the past when someone has offered to pray for me or insisted that they pray for me, and I've just felt no, not, and I'm usually quite open to anybody praying for me. It's like mm, there's something that's not right. I've said no, thank you. Why? Because there was a check in my spirit that says something is off. I'm not saying the person's evil. I'm just saying at that moment, I didn't feel that peace because God gives us a spirit of His spirit and also gives us that acknowledging the peace of God that something was not right. And so I'd rather the person didn't pray for me. So I just politely said, no, thank you. It's quite fine. Thank you so much for offering. But, and so and no one must force themselves on anybody. If he, the more, if he had become insistent, I would become very insistent, not to. And so I think each one of us has the right to say, if someone comes, in, that's why when people come up for prayer, we don't force and we don't. I don't presume that you're happy with someone to lay their hands on you. They need to ask why, because that's respect. But it's also each one of us has the spirit of God in us, and we can recognize of something, and we have the liberty to say, no, thank you. But that's different from God, no thank you. That's resisting Him. So we don't resist God, though there might be occasions where we're not comfortable with a certain person praying for us. That's fine. But we don't resist God. If we resist the Spirit by saying, not me, not me, then we can't expect to live in the fullness of the Spirit. It comes down to trusting God. It comes down to stepping out in faith and saying, like we've looked at, that we to eagerly desire and ask for. And when God moves, we res- submit and respond in faith. And even when we don't understand, we say, God, I trust you. I trust you that you have the good. Everything comes from him is good. And so as God moves, and I'm trusting that God will move more and more by his spirit through us as a community and the town and the nation, there might be things that happen that we've not seen or not totally kind of I don't quite know. Ask him. Submit to him. Spend time with you. If you recognize the spirit's voice, in any situation it then becomes easier to discern what is of him and what isn't. But if you never spend time with God, we won't recognize him when he moves. Make sense? So I'm going to end there this morning. But 
there is that sense of walking in unity. Actually, before, and Jen, when she's come up and shared, in the prayer meeting, Jen, before the prayer meeting, or I can't remember what it was, Jen shared a, a passage from Scripture about unity, which I think is incredibly important because quenching and resisting and, and, and um, uh, uh, grieving, certainly grieving, in, uh, often happens where there's disunity or where there's um, a conflict and that's why unity in the body is such an important thing because where there's unity, the Spirit of God flows. And um, so Joe just had sensed this, and so I'd like you to share it this morning just because it's, I believe it is for us from God. So it's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, and it says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Wonderful. So unity in the body is so important for when the, so the, the, the Holy Spirit can move freely. Unity in a marriage is so important for the Spirit to flow. Unity in a family unit and that's why there's always so much attack on unity. But if we keep close to God, submitted to him, filled with his spirit, walking in step, we will live in that place of God. It's not my life, it's yours. It's not my agenda, it's what you want to do. And we can walk in unity. So I'm going to pray. But this morning, if there's any area of your life that you think, actually, there's not unity, there's disunity. As I pray, just surrender that to God. Give it to him and say, God, help me walk and step with your spirit and bring wholeness and bring healing. If there's any area that God has highlighted that said, actually, here, you've grieved the spirit through sin, bring it before him. Confess it to him, repent and change and accept his grace and his love and forgiveness. And if there are areas you think, I don't actually understand, just say, Holy Spirit, show me. We're all on a journey with him. No one's got this down pat. No one's got all the answers. But we all have the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who can lead us and fill us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have not abandoned us. But we are your children and you've given us your spirit to live in us, to empower us, to fill us, to sustain us, to refresh, to enable. Thank you, Lord, that... In the power of your spirit, God, we can have victory and we can walk and live and be and do all that you've called us to. Lord, this morning I pray for each one of us. I, I pray for unity across this church, that we would contend for unity, that we would not allow the enemy to get a foothold, we would not allow the enemy to get in any way that would break up unity. And Lord, I pray for those who there may be marriages or families or relationships where there's disunity and discord. Father, I pray that by your Spirit you'd come and bring unity and wholeness and healing in those relationships right now in Jesus' name. Lord, if there, if there are areas of our lives where we've grieved you, Holy Spirit, or quenched what you've been doing by our attitudes or resisted you, Lord, this morning we... We come before you and we ask for forgiveness. We confess those things to you. And we ask that you would come by your spirit and move. I thank you that you are faithful and just. And you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You wash us whiter than snow and fill us with your spirit. 
And God, as we've done that, as people confess and repent, Lord, that you would move by your Spirit and bring freedom and life and fullness and, and wash it clean that we would keep in step with you. But above all, God, I pray for each one of us, those who are here today, those who are not here today but are part of this church family, that we would recognize your voice, Holy Spirit, that we would live submitted and walking in step with you, filled, empowered, led by you. Help us to build a relationship with you. To recognize when you speak, when you move, what you do. That we would live in the fullness of what you've called us to. And the life we live would bring you glory and honor. And be fruitful in reaching those who don't know you. In Jesus' name. Amen.